Okay, welcome to the Engineers HVAC podcast, where we strive to give back to the HVAC community by sharing our HVAC application and design experience. Today, we are excited to bring you episode 31, a live recording, which we're streaming on LinkedIn. I'm Tony Mormino with Insight Partners, and thank you for joining us today. Our guest for this episode is the one and only Mark J. Fly, PE, who has over 40 years of experience as a researcher, consulting engineer, contractor, manufacturer in the HVAC industry. Currently, he serves as the executive director of the Norm Norman Asbjornsson Innovation Center and Laboratory at Aon Inc. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In ASHRAE, Mark holds the grade of fellow and has been honored with the Distinguished Service and Exceptional Service Awards. He has been and is currently active on numerous technical committees, standing committees, and councils, serving on the Publishing and Education Council and as a trustee on the ASHRAE Foundation Board. He served as director as a director at large on the ASHRAE Board of Directors from 2014 to 2017. He has also been active in the HVAC Industry Trade Association, AHRI, serving on the board of directors from 2012 to 2016 as section chair for unitary large equipment and air-to-air energy recovery. Mark has also participated in the AHRI Technical Committee on Sound and the Unitary Sector Leadership Council. He is currently serving on systems steering committees. Wow, I'm exhausted just reading that. That's a lot of stuff. And uh, what that tells me is Mark's a a big deal in the industry. So please ask questions. This is a great opportunity if you have any. The title of today's uh, presentation is Pushing the Boundaries of HVAC Efficiency. We're going to look at the current technology and, and what's next. What do we need to do to increase efficiency? So Mr. Fly will share his insights and on the challenges associated with regulations, their compliance metrics, and how they often manifest unintended consequences. I think we've seen a few of those. As we strive to lower building energy and carbon consumption, we must raise the bar on energy efficiency. In this presentation, Mark will discuss the future development of performance maps for all types of equipment and the better incorporation of control and operation sequences into modeling software. Ultimately, the goal is to reduce the whole building energy and carbon use, which requires the reliance on whole building energy modeling combined with continuous commissioning to ensure continued efficient building operation. We encourage questions and would love for this to be interactive. So please put any questions in the chat. We will gladly respond. This does qualify for PDH credits. So please email me. I'll put my email up here in a minute. And you could also, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on our podcast in the future, you can always um, find my email address in the description of the video and or podcast. Uh, Mark has also shared his slide deck with us. So please email me if you'd like your copy of that. This recording will be available on our podcast called the Engineers HVAC Podcast. And there is a QR code in the upper left corner if you would like to connect. And we are thrilled again to have uh, Mark Fly join us today and share his experience in the HVA industry. So please sit back, relax, enjoy this insightful and informative discussion on pushing the boundaries in HVAC efficiency. Okay, so I'll turn it over here to Mark and I'd love to, I can't wait to see what you um, have to share with us today. Let me get my screen shared here. Give me just a second. Okay, okay, I thought I had that ready. Sorry about that. There okay, 
Take it away, sir. Okay. Since you've read all that, you know, you've said everything I need to say. So. <laughs> no, but I got a few graphics to make a point, right? Oh, good, good. So, so, so yeah. Um, so just kind of an introduction. Um, most of this presentation came from information that, that, that I've been involved with on the HRI system steering committee, which is, uh, which got started in 2012. So, uh, so we've been running a little over 10 years now and, uh, and, and we've made some progress, but not a lot because <laughs> this is going to be a really slow process. I was telling Tony earlier, I'm not sure that I'm going to be around to see the, the end of it, but I think this is really where, where we have to go because we're kind of maxing out. So let's kind of just jump into the, if you'll flip to the next slide, Tony. You got it. And when you say see the end of it, what is the end game? What is the... Well, it's Explain it's really uh, really we've got to change the way we think about energy efficiency and rating equipment. I mean, gotcha. at, at the so um, so I mean, obviously, you know, decarb and you know, building energy efficiency and global warming. These are all the hot topics right now that are going on, mm -hmm. and and lots of lots of discussions in the in the industry. So. And obviously, the best way to save energy is not to use it in the first place. So anything that we can do with efficiency and conservation is 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 much better than whatever we have to do on the production side of, gotcha. of energy. But you know, what what we've seen a trend over the a number of years, but uh, actually since since lighting has made such great gains with led lighting and better lighting controls and everything else now hvac is the predominant energy user in a building so uh you know so basically 44 percent of the commercial energy consumption is is hvac systems so <clears throat> um, hey mark are all buildings using led lighting primarily? no i there i don't think there all are but there, there's a lot of retrofit. There's a lot of that going on. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, you can't go buy an incandescent light bulb anymore. So, right, so right. Incandescents are gone. And, and, you know, the, the high pressure sodiums for, for plant lighting, a lot of that stuff's getting replaced. Those, you know, so, uh, uh, like a lot of technology as, as the science evolves, you know, it gets, more economical, less expensive, and, and immensely cheaper to operate, you know, because LED lighting has just revolutionized the amount of, of power that goes into lighting. It, it is amazing, so much an amazing technology leap, that's for sure. And we were talking about this on a, we had a decarbonization, I know you're going to get into it, I'm not going to get into a lot of that now, but someone yeah. was commenting about, you know, they did a, a LED retrofit, lighting retrofit in a, a, a high rise in a very old high rise in New York city. And they had a huge problem because now they didn't have enough heat in the building. Right. They had to like supplement the, <laughs> put like new, a new heating source in there somehow, which is not well, cheap. And, and you know, and that's what part of the discussion that's going on in some of the, um, you know, rating systems, you know, all, all HVAC equipments, uh, Standard indoor conditions, 8067. 8067 came from 75 degree room, 50% relative humidity, and some heat gain off the fluorescent light ballast and the ceiling plenum. 
you know, it's kind of a mixed air temperature mm-hmm. uh, without a lot of outside air. So I don't, not sure that any of those things apply anymore. So, right. Right. I so, hear you. So, uh, you know, so yeah, we've, we've, we have dropped a lot of heat into that return plenum, but we've added a lot more outside air. So it kind of depends on what season. It, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, but, but, you know, the important thing is, you know, HVC is a big deal in, in obviously in, in, in any kind of decarb or, or global warming discussion that we want to get into or, uh, if we want to have net zero buildings. So, yep. Let's, let's go on. There you go. So, uh, one of the things that I've kind of, you know, like I said, I've been in the, been around for 43 years now in the, in the industry and kind of started out in energy modeling and energy studies back in, in a uh, energy crisis that happened in the late seventies and early eighties called the Arab oil embargo when the Arabs turned the oil off to us. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, if you watch what happens, you know, we, you know, we put in regulations, we put in rules, we put in ASHRAE standards, we put in guidelines because we're trying to, to drive the behaviors that we think will uh, do what we want them to do, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but a lot of times when you do that, there are these unintended consequences, uh, associated with them. And one of the things that happens in HVAC equipment is because we want these single number rating systems, we want to say, well, what air conditioner is better than what air conditioner, you know, is this Mm -hmm. better than that? Then we've really simplified these things down to a point uh, that, that, you know, the, they don't tell us a lot about what's really going on with, with in the building or, or how they're actually used. So they don't tell us the whole story of that. They don't tell usage. us the whole story. SEER right. and IER and, 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 you know, IPLV for chillers. Uh, th- those, those are things that you can say, okay, if, if I'm looking rooftop to rooftop and I'm looking at IER, this one is more efficient than that one at least at those four points that that's based on, <laughs> you know, so, right. And, and yeah. those four points were picked and they're kind of this, uh, they're very U S centric. So it's a, it's a blending of, of, of a bunch of cities in the United States, which means it doesn't line up with anywhere. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. If you look at the design conditions, you know, that we test at 90, 90, you know, 80, 67, 95, uh, you know, 95 degrees about the design temperature for Atlanta, Georgia, and and Washington D.C. So, you know, right, the, right. the headquarters of ASHRAE and and the and the capital of our country seems to be what set our, our rating. <laughs> That's system. the rating so, system. Yeah, our rating system. So, so uh, and, you know, so so we have these simplified metrics. We also want to make sure everybody's following the rules, and so we want to crank down the uncertainty on these metrics. And, and measure things very accurately. And a lot of this stuff is not, is hard to measure. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're looking at, especially moisture content in air, you know, what, how much, what's your relative humidity, what's your wet bulb temperature, however you want to, what's your humidity ratio, however you want to express that. That's a difficult uh, quantity to measure and calculate with any great degree of accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, you know, we still pretty much use the technology of a cotton, wet cotton sock on a thermometer to measure, 
uh, humidity. That is the most accurate way to do it today. That's wet bulb if you're new that's to the industry. That's wet bulb in case you're new to the industry. Uh, yeah, that's wet bulb temperature. We used to sling them around on a thermometer with a what we called a sling psychrometer, do this. and. I, and, I did. We did it last time. We did this a presentation on that. Someone posted a picture of a sling, sling on our sling psychrometer, our, and, yeah, and everybody yeah. thinks that's kind of oh, that's old and out of date. Well, <laughs> that is way more accurate than any relative humidity sense, solid state relative humidity sensor you can go out and buy. You know, there's interesting. There's, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That's and so in in our lab inside the chambers, we have a high precision RTD that'll measure, you know, hundreds of a degree, but it's got a cotton sock sitting in a pool of distilled water <laughs> and a fan blowing over it to measure wet bulb. You know, this is state of the art lab things. And, and, and we're, you know, we'd all like to go to, and, and actually that's kind of a pain to, to, you know, maintain yeah. and work and all the techs have to change their socks every morning. Right. Put new cotton pieces on there because we don't want them to get dirty and, yeah, we'll run so out to the store and get a jug of distilled water. Huh? Water, go get it. Yeah, we buy it in, you know, hundred gallon coats. <laughs> so yeah, it's you That's know, so it. it's so anyway, there a lot of that that technology is. I mean, these things are hard. So so as if if we crank things down to to really tight tolerances, which is really tight tolerances, by the way, is five percent. <laughs> right but right. if we want to maintain in five percent then we have to do a whole lot of testing to make sure we maintain it in five percent you know mm -hmm. we have to do a lot of sample testing we have to do a lot of you know because there is some data scatter there's some production variations there's equipment variations and in, in all components so so that involves a lot of testing and because the, we're trying to do all this testing get the accuracy really high it means we can't test a whole lot of points. So one of the Got kind it. of dirty little secrets in the HVC industry, if you look at any kind of piece of equipment, I don't care if it's chillers or, or, um, or especially on the refrigeration side, any of the HRI certified equipment, we usually know a whole lot at four data points, at four distinct right. data points. <laughs> you know, for IER, it's 25 uh 50, 75, and 100 percent load at 95 degrees and some de declining temperatures and humidities past that, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't know a whole lot about what our equipment. We really, quite frankly, don't know what our equipment does a lot outside of that because those are the data points that that the whole industry has been so focused on to to keep together. So uh, I'll be done. So that's kind of that unintended consequences that that we've got. Right. If we go to things that are more flexible and more data points, we're probably going to lose some of that insert. I mean, we're, our uncertainty is going to grow. It may not be 5%. It may be 10 or 15%. Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, so, you know, one of the questions is, can everybody accept that? You know, right. can we do that? So let's, let's flip over to the next one. So, if we kind of look at the, yeah, blow that up a little bit. There, there we go. It's focusing in, at least for me. If, if we kind of look at the history of, of, uh, how's that, Mark? Uh, See that uh, yeah, that's, that's better. So, okay. and, and this is a, a little bit older slide, but it, but it kind of follows. This is the 90.1 energy efficiency over time. This is what we progressed since 1975 basically when the Department of Energy got created, 
to today. And you can see there's this kind of straight line, especially since, oh, 2000 or early 2000s. Uh, it follows kind of the same slope, slope of line as we go. But you're also kind of noticing that things are kind of flattening out. Now, mm -hmm. pop the next slide up and we'll talk about some different type of equipment. And the y-axis is this energy use index, basically, you know, what's actually happening in the world in buildings as best as, as be, can be put together. And mm -hmm. uh, so if we look in the residential market and, you know, probably 80% of the HVAC in the world is grown in the residential market, you know, we made some big gains in the 90s because, quite frankly, our equipment wasn't, you know, uh, that's when everybody got 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 on the energy efficiency kick and so uh but you'll notice that the you know the the impacts that we're making in the last you know um 25 years you know uh haven't really been it's, that much it's really in the last 25 out. years yeah which would be i'm gonna try and uh circle this that would be this area here well, I mean, that's up to 2035, but I mean, you know, we're... Well, that's the future. I circled the wrong the thing. Future, I got gotcha. you. Right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's been relatively flat. And so there is, you know, depending on the type of equipment, let's let's flip through a few others because I've got some other okay. type of equip, equipment on here. So, oh. There's three-ton residential. Oh, there, there, there we go. go. Ten-ton rooftop right here. So 10 ton rooftop unit there, there again, you know, we probably didn't get to the higher efficiency and this is really kind of the highest efficiency equipment on the market. It's kind of what's represented here. In this purple okay. line here. But this purple line here. Which I'm going to track but, like right here. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But, but if you kind of look at that now we're, we're you know, now we're kind of above what the, you know, what the intended uh, effect of 90.1 was supposed to be. So, um, and and it and the next right. couple ones are right. yeah pop the next one up. Okay, so three ton residential, ten ton rooftop, and then we've uh, got and that now we've got chiller. a hundred and fifty ton air cooled chiller right there. Gotcha. Yeah, and notice that in twenty fifteen that's basically gone flat. You know. Yeah. So. Uh, what is the dotted line there representing? Uh, you know? I'm not absolutely sure because this is okay. my slide. But, uh, you know, <laughs> may, may, maybe that's maybe that's as good as we can get. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, one of the things we're, that we talk a lot about uh, in in the system steering committee at HRI is that there is a theoretical max tech, maximum tech, or a practical max tech on this, and, and sure. Pop the last last one up if you can go go up to the. There's a water cooled chiller on here too. There we go. Yeah. So um, water cooled chiller right there. So the water cooled chiller, you know, you can see we also took uh, um, it. You know, it's it's kind of tracked off of, of the air cooled chiller. Yeah. Both the chillers have kind of almost flatlined. So in chiller technology we are very close to max tech. So if you look at a water cooled chiller today, if you look at the top of the line water cooled chiller today, the approach mm. on, on the suction to, to leaving water temperature is close to one degree. The approach on the 
condenser side, the condensing water temperature to to the saturated condensing temperature is about one degree. Mm-hmm. If you want another, uh, if you want to get a half a degree, you're probably going to have to put a hundred times more copper in that unit, <laughs> and you got half a degree. You haven't increased the efficiency of that machine hardly any at all. Right. So it's the law of diminishing returns. It's just the law of diminishing returns. So if we're going to stay with vapor compression, unless somebody can, you know, unless they can come out with the new LED light that is incredibly efficient at cooling air, so much better than we can with compressing gas. Right, right. Uh, you know, we're at max tech. So, right. so, so where talk, do we go just, from here? So where do just, we go from here? You know? Right. You're just talking about exchanging energy and you can only, you know, Mr. Owner, if you want this extra, right. you know, 0.1% of efficiency is going to double the price of the machine. So you're at that point. Double where it's just the price like, of the machine. And, right. and what, crazy. you know, how are we getting, how much carbon are we saving? How close, how much closer are we getting to net zero? Right, right. By doing that, you know, we spent a whole lot of money. We didn't really get a whole lot of things out of it. Right. And exactly. And how much carbon did it take to mine all that extra copper that I had to put in there? And, you know, so you've got this life cycle cost, you know, this uh, end use cost that that you you've put a whole lot more materials in there and you really haven't got a lot of gain. gain yeah. So yep. we I think we squeezed all the juice out of that turnip we can with the water cooler right. chillers. So uh, so the next yeah. the next slide is. Is even an older slide, but but you know this was done by Pacific Northwest Gat Labs, and you, you look at it, it, it was done probably 2015 or so. But but the trend has been it's the same slide, it's the same type slide track you you've seen. Mm-hmm. But they projected okay, and a lot of us are talking about we want net zero buildings in 2030 is a very popular one. Everybody'd like to do it quicker, mm-hmm. but I mean look look at the slope of that line. You know, and remember what that equipment looked like. That equipment's going to flatten out, and and we've got to maintain. We've got to pick up the slope of the line. We've got to move forward from today. We've got to. Uh, and by the way, we didn't follow that line starting in 2015 either. So it's even a tighter slope. We've got to really pick it up if we're going to actually have some net zero savings. Mm-hmm. In, you know, from the equipment side that we can drive from that equipment side. So. So, so I mean, let me let me so ask you this. What this is telling me is that we can't get there from here. We can't, right? It's, yeah, I get it. Uh, so yeah. let me ask you this because I, 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 for me, you know, it's all about the the HVAC side of it. But like, we're getting picked on because we're the highest energy user. It's an easy target. Is is does the same do the same um, like profound changes in efficiency and effectiveness of like the building envelope and the windows? Do do all those also have the same kind of attention that HVAC gets? Cause I only live in the HVAC world, so I don't see any. Well, I, you know, and I think, I think they do. And I think mm-hmm. we probably, you know, there, there again, you know, if we're, um, we can do some things with, with, with envelope losses, but I mean, it, it kind of depends on what kind of building you're looking at and in a house, you know, uh, modern residential construction, a lot of times they're going, four inch foam walls they're spraying foam in houses you know we're mm-hmm. getting r30 r40 walls ceilings you know so so i make it a six inch wall and i make it r50 how much heat transfer if i how much have right. i changed what have i changed in the grand scheme of things by by doing that in commercial buildings um you know we just went through a pandemic we 
you know, we re-emphasize the importance of bringing outside air into a building. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, so so yeah. commercial buildings, it's not really the envelope load that's driving most of the load. It's the people and the outside air you're bringing in. Right, the right. It's the internal loads. So, yep. so uh, you know, so we throw a lot of insulation in there, you know, but what can, what can we do otherwise? You know, we're doing right, a lot of heat right. recovery. The heat recovery helps. You know, so there are things that we can do, but uh, and that's that's kind of part of the reason that that we need to quit. We get so focused on just HVAC uh, and comparing, you know, how many watts does my right. LED light take? You know, can I now I can do a hundred watt light bulb with a seven watt LED bulb? You know, right. wow, that's cool. You know, right, because we're hooked up to the meter. We're actually pulling in the energy, right, so they're right. not look. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but you know, totally. Uh, but if you turn that light off, it uses zero watts. So, <laughs> so you know, if you leave all your lights right. on in your house twenty four seven, then no, you're not necessarily doing the best you can do. Right? You're not driving. You're, you're describing my house. Well, yeah, unfortunately. So that's not really true, but I just didn't make that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so. so when you got teenagers, you have a, you, you have only so much control. So, right. You walk around the house, turn lights out. All the time. That's right. So, so, you know, that, so this is kind of the why, this is why we need to start doing something different because gotcha. just looking at EER, SEER, IER, IPLV isn't going to cut it anymore. Got it. So, and that's a big change. It's a big change in mindset for the industry. It's a big change in mindset for regulators. Uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, inherent mistrust among each other. <laughs> you know, right? Uh, the energy advocates don't don't trust the manufacturers. The the you know the engineers don't trust anybody. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, right. The the owners all think that you know we're just all running the price up so that, that we make more money. So, you know, it's, uh, we get, you know, we got to cooperate and get this stuff going together. So, right. And if we can make the, if we can make the equipment, you know, more efficient in a way that the ROI is there and it's not much more expensive, it's in our interest to do that. Like we want to do that. That's what we want to do. And and I think our industry has done an amazing job of, um, it's very competitive and, and many people may not understand that who are not in the equipment side, but we're, we're. We love. We would love to have a, a piece of equipment that's minimally more expensive, but is way more efficient than the competition. I mean, that's like the holy grail of you know equipment right. sales. So um, it just it, it's really difficult, and especially today, it's like we've kind of maxed these things out. It, it seems. I mean, I'm sure there's yeah. more to, to yeah. get out of it, but you know what I'm saying. So. There's there, there's a a little bit more, you know. And if you kind of look at that future, if we went back a few slides and looked at future view on on like unitary equipment, you know, there's you know, there's there's a few more steps there that can be yeah, made. Yeah. Uh, but you know, three three or four more steps, we're gonna be done. Yeah, you know, we're yeah. gonna be at that point of diminishing returns. And uh, we're gonna be where the chiller guys are. Now, um, you just can't throw that much more condensed oil flat in the yeah, exactly. You know, the equipment's getting bigger and bigger, it's getting more and more expensive. Um, you know, we're putting greener and greener and more and more expensive refrigerants in it, you know, all kinds of, there's a lot going on right now in the industry. For sure. For sure. So, uh, yeah, blow that slide up again. 
and this is just this is this is some of the work that's been done in in ASHRAE 90.1 and some some other different part and this 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 uh this slide takes a little explanation but the little bl the blue dots and the red dots basically are heating and cooling load in a typical commercial building and when i say typical they're you know 90.1 and the ashray folks that have been working on this and some of the laboratories uh and modeling guys that have been doing this that have a multitude of different building types that they run in a multitude of different uh, environmental uh, conditions or uh, climate conditions. And so I just kind of picked one that had mm -hmm. uh, it, it had superimposed on it an, an IPLE, IPLV curve for a chiller showing the design condition and the four data points. Okay. And where the building really operates at. So let me make sure, let me break this down for a second. Um, so on the uh, X axis, we have ambient temperature, which is going from zero to 100. To 100. And we have building load, um, power consumption. Building load, BTU. Oh, building BTUs load, per, building load, yeah, BTU. So okay. basically just BTUs per hour, right? BTUs per hour, the, the for, HVAC for, load, basically. Yeah, you know, HVAC load, you know, heating, heating or cooling. And I picked this, yeah, this one's for a zone four, and I showed the zone four map. Zone four is yellow. That's that Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Georgia area right there. So <laughs> you know. in the yellow the, area here is the zone yellow four. Yellow area zone four. That's gotcha. kind of what, that's that's a predominant controller. on. That's kind of the average of the country. It's moderate temperatures with humidity. I mean, Basically, you know, so if you go gotcha. out west, you have less humidity, so the climate uh, is different. But if we look at something that's got latent load on it, we got humidity on it, and you and you look at at the place we rate this equipment at, the things that we drive the equipment to be most efficient at, is not where this equipment is spending most of its hours running. You know, it's right at the borderline edge. Matter of fact, the design cooling point which granted is not weighted very heavily in IPLV or the design cooling point in IER <laughs> or serin weighted, but basically we're showing no hours in this particular building in this particular climate at that design cooling load point. Okay, so the IPLV uh, integrated right. cartload value, for right. those who don't know. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and then you see the green point, point there's here. the... Right. And then on the other side, you look over on the other side, there's the design heating point. Right. So we're there again, way up there where we're generally you're not. And the density of the dots is basically depending on how many hours that you're running. That's what. Right. That's right. So. And what this IPLV curve is showing is we're right. just barely yeah. touching the surface of it and only at these three points and the, the design cooling, which is 25% of the, <laughs> of the equation. If I remember my IPLV, right, it's like right. way off the charts. So. It's way off the charts. So yeah. yeah. Now, can you pick a client for a uh, climate where that might be in the chart? Yeah. But you're probably, but if you look at all these and, and, and I've seen, you know, many, many of these charts 20, you know, the, the I, one of the, one of the slides that I was looking to steal <laughs> off, off of some of this stuff had you know fifteen or twenty of these charts on there, but they all kind of look the same regardless of what you plot on there and regardless right. of where you do it, it follows the same trend. 
So you're not in the real world. You're, you're not time. in the real world, but we're kind of guessing at it. But, yeah. But our metrics, the, the things that we sell with, the things that our customers and everybody, the engineer designed to, I want an IPOV chiller at this point, are based on these four data points. You know, so mm-hmm. this is where we're driving that equipment efficiency. If I'm a manufacturer and I'm trying to make the best piece of equipment to sell my customer and want to sell that piece of equipment, want my customer to want me over my competitor, I'm going to design something that works really well at those four operating points, right? That's, that's we have to, to stay in business. That's, that's what we have to do. Right. We have, and to I've got that. a great one that runs, you know, mid pack down there in the middle that no one's, there's no way for me to tell that story. <laughs> I can't tell anybody who's going to believe me, you know, right. Just, Hey, Hey, just trust me. Right. <laughs> right. It <laughs> kind of reminds me of when the digital compressors first came out, you know, and it was hard to show the credit you would get at part load for the part load energy usage. Right. Cause the, right. you know, it didn't care that it was unloaded half the time. Cause it just looked at the impact it had at, at when it was loaded. And right. So so, so that you know, so there's some things here that could be improved. Now, uh, when we started doing this, rating this equipment, which goes back about 65 years, is when we first started rating equipment. You know, maybe it couldn't be improved. You know, that was probably good data back then. We didn't have, you know, 65 years ago. I mean, I've I've been in the business 43 years, and I feel like I was like the first of the computer generated. <laughs> I I learned how to use a slide rule, but I was never very good at it. Right. <laughs> you know, so I was I was uh, the first of the calculator cripples, what we used to call it, what our professors used to call us, who who all were slide rule guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, they made I mean, fun of the calculator for, guys. They made fun of the calculator guys. Right. Right. Look so, at that calculator. Gotcha. Look at that calculator. <laughs> you're not you know, you're not doing real engineering using that that machine, right? And and now no one uses a machine. They all use a spreadsheet, right? A right, right. So so you know those four operating points, you know, 45 years ago were 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 probably state of the art, but we haven't really moved past that. So gotcha. So wow. you know, so I think as far you know, in my opinion, and part of the point of of what. I try to tell people is it's not that that we're making bad equipment. We're probably making the best equipment we can make, or we're getting very close to that. What I don't think we do a great job of is is what we do with the equipment, how we operate buildings. I think mm-hmm. we get pretty sloppy in that. Yeah, and 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 how we operate the building, and even to a certain extent how we operate the equipment, because we've been so focused on these four data points, we really haven't given a lot of thought or done a lot of testing or done a lot of research into what happens down there in the, in the dark blue part of that cloud or the That's dark right. red part right. of that cloud where, where all the time's being spent, how much improvement could we do there? Cause that's what right. really matters. That's where you're going to save the, that's where you're going to save the carbon. That's where you're going to save the energy. That's where you're going to lower the people's utility costs. Uh, Cause that's where we're living. That's where we're living. That's right, where life right. is. So, so what do we so, need to do to make that so, happen? So, so, yeah, I don't remember how many more slides I got on why. So, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. All right. What do we have to do to make this happen? So, you know, so basically, 
we live in a date, like I was talking about, we live in a data rich world. We can be data rich. We have so much data. We can't look at it all. Right. Right. You know, I, I t- tell people I give lab tours when I'm in town at, at our lab. We have 200,000 data points in our lab. Gosh. You think anybody can look at 200,000 data points? But I can record them. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what to do with them, but we got Not sure. I mean, a lot of them is thermal mapping and stuff like that. But, yeah. you know, uh, but we, we, we live in a data rich world. What we got to do is learn how to use that data. So, so we need to do that paradigm shift and get away from this product performance and get to this building energy performance. And so we're living down there in that product performance uh, green highlighted band of that pyramid. Right. And so what we under, need to understand is what are our energy needs? You know, what do we need to run the buildings? What do we need to run the world? Mm-hmm. Um, how do how are those used? How do those needs get met by equipment? And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what we're striving for is how do we make buildings that use burn less greenhouse gas, use less carbon, right? That's the goal. How do we That's the goal, goal, right? How do we use less energy at the end? So, you know, what we do know is we know quite a bit about part load efficiency. Uh, about full load efficiency. We know four good data points on part load efficiency. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but we don't know much about this performance mapping. And, uh, and, and I say that, but there has been a shift. And, and one of the things that has been accomplished in the last 10 years is uh, for, for chillers, uh, chillers, when you go get an HRI certified chiller, even though the if you pull it up, the certification certificate has the IPLV, that's not what's certified when you certify a chiller. What you certify when you certify the chiller with HRI is you certify the selection software. This is oh. a, a new mm. trend. Mm-hmm. So HRI has that selection software, and you can you can email or call HRI and say, Hey, I'm selecting this chiller, uh, at, at this crazy data point. It's, I want to know what the capacity is. It's 65 degrees outside. I want 62 degree leaving water temperature with, you know, 75 degree entering water temperature. I got this weird outside the realm condition that's, that's not on the IPLV point that I got to have for my building for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And their selection software lets me get a capacity and efficiency at that point. You can call HRI up and say, hey, is that a certified point? And they can run that software because they have that software. They have the certified copy of the software at HRI for that chiller. They'll run that software and come back and say, yes, this matches what their manufacturer told you. This is a certified point. So, so they have the manufacturer's current so, version of their selection software, basically. Their their certified version of that. I'm saying certified because it should be the current version. Yeah. If it's not, gotcha. that's how you get caught, right? Gotcha, right. So, so they have the so, cer- current current certified so, uh, version. Yeah. So if if I certify a chiller in my lab, and we we've, we've done that for we've done that for a number of years and done it mm-hmm. for some other people. They do the IPLV points and they do a what they call a random point. Anywhere picked that your software will select, I guarantee you'll be in a corner. It will be that weird, yeah. hey, you said this thing would do 75 degree leaving water temperature at, at 
35 degrees outside and, you know, 90 degree entering water temperature. So any, anything you can select that you'll get a rating, they'll run that, you'll run that point. You fail mm-hmm. that point, you fail the test, you re-rate everything in your, every rating in your software by whatever percentage you failed that test by. Wow. Mm. So yeah, this is a, this is a big deal. What, so, is this, is this new Mark or have I just not known this? Is this, been uh, around a while this, or? Is, this has probably been around five years. Okay. So, so uh, the other kind of interesting thing about chillers is, you know, there's, there's uh, one HVAC product that is not federally regulated and that's chillers. The U S oh. government the U.S. Department of Energy does not have the authority to regulate chillers because it got left off the list in 1975 when the Energy Policy Act was written. And, Interesting. Okay. And it has not been fixed since because gotcha. we can't pass a law in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Now that's uh, not new. That's for that's sure. That's not new. That's not new. But, uh, yeah. but the, you know, the interesting thing is the only thing that we've got, well, we've got some other things now, but. The only thing that's federally regulated that has mapped ratings, you know, broadband ratings of different points is the one thing that is not uh, regulated by the U.S. government. <laughs> so, gotcha. So, anyway, so let's let's move on and, and talk about it that in a little different way. So so if we kind of look at this, you know, we're, we're basically at this level one uh up to level three level, you know, used to be mm-hmm. all the equipment was certified and rated at EER, full load efficiency, you know, so we've gone from one point to four points in 25 years, right? <laughs> so, right, right. Which is better. There's no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, the uh, the U.S. Department of Energy didn't recognize IER till 2013 because I was, I was on that when, when they started federally regulating it, we talked them into doing IER instead of EER because they can only regulate one point. They had to pick one. Gotcha. Uh, so, so once we go past that, then we need some more tools. We need more data. We need more models. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, so we need to understand this, you know, regional annualized metrics, you know, basically we can't say, everything has to be rated at, at this one HRI set of conditions because that piece of equipment that operated best in Miami, Florida, probably does not operate best in Vancouver, Canada. Right. You know, because yeah. uh, latent conditions, temperature conditions are, are just different. So, so we have to bring regional, uh, metrics into that and that's kind of that subsystem approach we've started doing that uh nationally with sear for residential equipment because they're regional standards you know they're mm-hmm. they're they're you know you have hot and dry you have hot and humid you have cold you know there's there's different regions and different sear levels that are available for those so that you can have for your uh, your sear rating is more restricted in, in a hot, humid environment where the HVAC load is the highest, so the building energy going to be consumed the highest. Whereas you could live with something a little bit less in Nebraska, but maybe your heating efficiency needs to be more efficient because it's going to have more of a heating load. So we've started doing that on the residential uh, 
uh, methods. Now, I, quite frankly, from a manufacturer standpoint, it's a nightmare because, mm. you know, I don't want to have to get involved in bootleg, anybody bootlegging units from Minnesota to Texas. Oh my gosh. Because, <laughs> you, know, so, you know, then, 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 you know, how do you control where stuff goes and how do you control? It's crazy. I built, I built the, I built the Texas edition. I built the Vancouver edition. I built the Florida edition, you know, you know, so that that's kind of a nightmare, but we did you know, it. You, last... you, could, you could regulate it that way. You could do it. Yeah. Our last podcast we did was on the new SEER 2 and EER 2 right. and HMS 2. And I, I set it up. So I gave myself, you know, a week or two to kind of put it together because I was unfamiliar with them. And about halfway through it, I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to cancel this. It's <laughs> way too complicated. I don't know if I'm able to explain it. And so I did the the, the uh, podcast and I asked a couple of people, what do you think? They're like, I think I'm calling you when I have a question or I think I'm calling the manufacturer. It's just so confusing. And for the, you know, I can't even imagine for the contractors and engineers how hard that is to keep track of. But yeah. So anyway. So, you know, really, if we want to maximize the potential of, of the energy savings, mm -hmm. we, you know, we need to get away from from these prescriptive measurements and say, OK, when we put whatever equipment you you choose to design or, or build in whatever type building, you know, how many BTUs per square foot per year do, uh, or how many kilowatts per square foot per year are you using? Right. Right. The whole building approach. How many kilowatt hours per square foot? The whole building approach. So, mm -hmm. you know, and give the engineering community, gives the manufacturing community. Uh, we need we need to do a group hug, work together on this and, and give us some flexibility because everything in engineering is always a trade off. You know, you're always yeah. trading something for something else. You know, do you want efficiency? Do you want controllability? Do you want, you know, back in the before my time in the sixties, you know, uh, people were designing buildings that, you know, it was really important to have thermal comfort in buildings still is really important, but that was the most important thing. Energy was cheap. So what did we do? We cooled all the air down to 55 degrees and then we put reheat coils in there and yep. heated it back up to keep the temperature space. Great way of doing temperature control. Uh, yeah, we still do it in certain applications. Sure. You know? Uh, especially in in laboratory environments, that's exactly what happens in my environmental chambers when I have to hold uh, temperatures for plus or minus half a degree for an hour to to do one of these four data points. It works great. It, it works great. You know, dry the air out and heat it back up. Dry 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 the air back. Heat heat it back up. Add humidity where you need it, and then you can control it. You know, yep. so so if that's the most important thing for you, that's that's what we do. But you know. Uh, but, you know, let's give people the flexibility to do what they need to do to get there as long as they maximize and optimize the energy efficiency. So so really what that means is we've got to make this fundamental change in our energy policy, you know, the EPAC, how we do codes, how people think about it, you know. Right. And, and it can't be all this adversarial that, you know, the manufacturers are all out to cheat the public and you know, uh, the, the energy advocates are trying to run all the manufacturers, hate manufacturers, and, and they're trying to run us all out of business. We can't, we can't keep that attitude up anymore. If right. We're really right. going to move forward. We got to work, work together on this. So, so the prescriptive things will shake themselves out if we ever got into the world where we were, where we had accurate building models 
you know, why, why would there be any reason to rate a piece of equipment? Because if you can't put that equipment on the building and, and make the building work, no one's going to buy it. That's right. You know, so, so let's make things that work. That drives, that drives that, that desirable effect of let's, let's make equipment that's efficient in that blue cloud, not, yep. not at the edges. So, so you have to start looking at this right now. We're operating in that red circle. You know, if we look mm-hmm. at a rooftop unit, we're, you know, we're looking at a fan, a coil, a filter in a box with a compressor and a condenser section on it. We don't look at the economizer. We don't look at uh, heat recovery. Mm-hmm. We don't look at what we're doing in the space. Are we doing VAV boxes? Are we doing reheat? Are we doing perimeter heat? You know, so as you go to these different levels from from level A to level B, then we get, okay, now we got everything in the unit. Level C, maybe we've got the occupied space. And then level D really, which isn't really shown here, is what's the whole building doing? Right. Are there other things going on in this building? We're also heating hot water. We've got lighting. We've got other things. Are there other things that we can integrate into this that affect how we operate and the best type of HVAC equipment we can put on there or, or, or how we operate that equipment and everything to, to be at, at optimum. So yep. just doing the same thing for a chill water system today, my, it looks like my red circle's a little off, but right, we got one chiller. You know, yep. most chiller, a lot of chiller systems, usually you have a couple because that's right. One chiller goes out. I mean, you got one chiller with one compressor and it quit. It's a centrifugal chiller. It quits. You got no cooling in the building. Nobody really likes that. Right. You know, and, and the and the usual rule on, you know, the rule of fans and the rule of thermodynamics are that, you know, if I have two and I lose one, I'll probably get at least two thirds of the capacity after yeah. the rebalance. Right. Because yeah. because. Uh, <clears throat> The space going a little bit hotter, but my equipment's going to get a little bit more efficient because I'm working against a hotter space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, probably the thing in chillers that we don't have good understanding are what happens in that cooling tower. You know, there's the the cooling tower. There aren't IPLVs for cooling tower part load efficiencies. They're just kind of things that run water and have fans. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not a lot of attention paid to it, but you still get that same level. You know, the, then, you know, the, the other levels, then, then we have to take in the air handlers and, and then we have to take in again. The right. So. Yeah. Uh, the cooling towers don't get a lot of love. That's for sure. They don't get a lot of love. So, right. so, so how do we get there from here? Well, you know, first, first it, it kind of goes back to building energy modeling and, and, you know, uh, energy plus is, which was used to be called D, was DOE's uh, code based. Uh, system that goes goes back, you know, to the '70s basically, and they they have several of their evolutions. They have a thing called Open Studio. Most energy calculation software is based on Energy Plus. There's been a lot of work on that on buildings, but the equipment side of that is is sorely lacking. Mm. Uh, the equipment side basically are are building equipment models that came from the '70s. Mm-hmm. And really haven't changed. So, so ASHRAE has been working for several years, and the standards now out called ASHRAE Standard Two Hundred Five, which is this uh, technique to 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 map building performance, kind of like I was talking about with chillers, have the whole mm-hmm. map. So, how do we do that? And I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, 
There's other things like how do we integrate guideline V, HRI guideline V is if we put heat recovery in a rooftop unit, how does that affect the rooftop unit? So mm-hmm. we we don't want to get into a situation where uh, what happened in 2013 when, when DOE started regulating HVAC, that drove a lot of industry interest. Uh, I, I was up there. There were a bunch of, most of my peers were up there up in dc talking to the doe lawyers mm-hmm. because when they decided that hey we have the authority you know we're done with incandescent light bulbs you know we've done that that was part on the epac list in 1975 we've done with motors now it's time to tackle hvac and so the enforcement compliance division was you know one engineer one administrator and about a dozen lawyers <laughs> <laughs> So, so they're taking That's perfect. Well, I mean, it's the truth. Yeah. And, and so we're taking industry practice, you know, and we're going to write it into law. So, well, who does that? The lawyers, right? Right. They and put it in the federal code of federal regulations. They made a minor change. They said, okay, we need you to certify and test. Uh, in HRI, we work on what we call basic model groups. Basic model group is compressor plus or minus 5% capacity, a condenser in a condenser coil square foot area. So basically what it does, it means a basic model group is a tonnage. So a three tons, a basic model group, a two ton, and a 10 ton, and a 15 ton. Every tonnage you make is a basic model group. HRI tests 20% of the, your basic model groups every year. So in five years, they test one of each tonnage you make. Mm-hmm. Now, in that tonnage, in that 10-ton rooftop unit, I might make one with a six-row coil or a four-row coil or a three-row coil. I might have variable speed compressors. I might have digital compressors. might have on-off compressors. You know, I might have ECM motors on my fans, or I might have belt drive motors. So I could have hundreds of different combinations mm-hmm. and permutations in there. And as long if I list all those with a different energy efficiency, HRI will randomly pick out of that group. I don't get to have say which one they pick. They'll pick one out and they'll test it. You know, so mm-hmm. well, what DOE said is a basic model group is any unit that has any different energy efficiency than any other unit. So all those combinations and permutations came on the table, right? <laughs> so I sat down and did a calculation and came up and said, well, best I could tell my company Aon had a uh, 6 trillion basic models. <laughs> and we're not exactly sure how we're going to test any significant percentage of that in right. any given time. And so I went to the meeting and stood up and said, I have 6 trillion basic model groups. <laughs> and, and my good friend, uh, uh, Dick Lord from carrier who, who's done a lot of the work that I've stolen a lot of these sto- slides I've stolen from Dick really an icon in the industry. He's coming on as chair of 90.1 right now. Uh, Dick said, Mark, you screwed your math up. He said, you know, uh, <laughs> I know I've got at least nine, uh, 12 million basic model groups and you've got more per- combinations. Per- right, I said, right. Dick, does it matter? Right. <laughs> I got tired of, I, I got tired of, uh, you know, so basically what if it's DOE more than was, if it's more than a thousand, it's a pain, right? So right. A, well, right. you know, so you know what DOE said was, if I change from a, a MERV eleven to a MERV thirteen filter, I would have to retest because uh, that would change the efficiency. Sure. Yeah. So, 
so you know so so we got a model we got to do some things we have to we have to make you know heat we can't measure every type of heat recovery we can't measure every combination permutation mm. and if we start throwing the vav boxes on there and the duct work and the other things that we need to take into effect no, there never will be two that are the same. So you could never right, right. actually test it. So we got to do modeling. So yeah. So we got the building modeling. We've got the component modeling. We got to have this math for integration. And and we need to do some verification. And so right now there's a lot going on with building modeling. There's there's tons of people building net zero buildings, and then when they meter them, they don't feel too net zero. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's I hear that story over and over again. Ashray headquarters is is an example. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they they smartest guys at Ashray pulled on all the industry resources, you know, did a net zero new headquarters, but when they start looking at the utility bills, it's just not performing to the model. Right. Right. And yeah. and what that means is the model needs to be tuned up. We've got it, you know, we've got so right. we gotta verify these models. We gotta go back and looking look at them. And then probably the last point, but one of the most important points is commissioning. (laughs) Mm, You know, so what happens to the building after the engineer leaves, after the contractor leaves, after everybody leaves and, you know, everybody that's been in this industry for any point in time, you know, the secretary on the third floor is hot and on a hot day and the maintenance guy goes up and says, you know, if I'd shut that outside air damper, it'd be a lot cooler in the space. So it gets the seen that I got, I got a crescent wrench i can take the actuator loose from the shut the outside air damper and that's the way it runs from because you know he solved today's problem and never went back and unsolved it right yep so sure. so you got to keep this stuff and, and on top of that you know with our best intentions as design engineers or building owners we think we're using it this way but what turned things life changes right yeah and you're using the building the other way i i it, when I worked as a contractor, one of the things I did spend a lot of time on was hospitals. I always said, you know, today's lobby is tomorrow's operating suite in the hospital. Right, hospitals right. change constantly. There's a constant churn. There are construction mm. in almost every hospital I've ever been into. There's construction going on all the time yep. because they're just changing demands and different things going on. So buildings change, use change. So we've got to keep that up and keep that commissioning and make sure that we understand that we have and and there's kind of this new concept that's been talked about in the last few years you may have heard people talk talk about digital twins i have not heard that okay well digital twin you know with bim bim this building information management you know the revit and 3d drawings and where we design buildings and we put all the structure and all the every all the components in there and of course, the ultimate goal would be to build in all the HVAC equipment and all the thermal performance in there. Can you create a digital model of the building, mm. run simulations on that digital model of the building to help you determine how best to operate that building? So, and they call that digital twins. Gotcha. So, um, so if we just look back at the energy modeling software, like I said, this stuff has been around since, you know, basically started in the 60s. I started out life in 1980 doing energy studies for a consulting engineering firm. And, 
that was really before that was before blast <laughs> i mean or that was not before blast but blast really wasn't out there to do that blast was uh i mean we were running things on punch cards mm. uh and then you know then you had doe2 in the 80s energy plus in the 90s uh there's been a lot of evolution and interaction there and and it's got better and better and better but there's but like i said really the the most of the equipment models were, were created uh by blast and blast was basically a department of the army or armed forces uh program that was put together by the military mm-hmm. to analyze their buildings because you know the uh GSA, the General Services Administration, is the largest real estate owner in the world because of all the military bases. Mm-hmm. You know, so they they are a big owner and they pay a lot of attention to how buildings operate, and and so they put Blast together in the in the seventies. So, so that so you know so this Blast program was developed. Um, some of the people you probably know, Dave Kniebel, who 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 retired from Aon a few years ago. Dave mm-hmm. was involved in a lot of the early early energy modeling. He he wrote uh, the Ben method for energy analysis in 1975-ish range. So uh, a lot of those uh, energy models that were models that Dave did in Blast, they're still in there. That's that's how we're modeling equipment, and it and it's not any slam on the modeling software guys mm-hmm. but when we only have four data points <laughs> right and that's all we know about how do we put something else in there and right. that's kind of where that ashray 205 is becoming to come into the the realm so next slide so so 205 was has just got released it's actually was released in 2023 so it's it's Brand new, ink still gooey on it. Mm. And it was basically uh, ASHRAE's attempt at saying, okay, how do we improve these energy models? How do we get this better equipment models for all these components? And the components aren't just the rooftop units. It's the pumps. It's the fans. It's, you know, certain things, physics makes models work really well. We pretty well understand how fans, I did your, I, I talked a lot about that in one of your previous programs. Yep. You know, we know fan laws, fan laws are, you know, they're not suggestions, they're laws, they work, you know, but, but when you get, get into latent capacity of a cooling coil, that's a whole lot more complicated. Right. You know, it's, it's, I can't write a bunch of equations for doing that. So, so ASHRAE 205 was a way to say, how can we get this map data? How can we encourage manufacturers to get us this map data so we can improve our energy models? Well, you know, I don't want to give my program to Carrier Train in York uh, so that they can reverse engineer and figure out exactly what I'm doing because there is some competitiveness in the market and we all want to have our own you yeah. know, own intellectual property. But maybe I could develop a table of my performance. That doesn't tell you how I got there. You know, you can't massage it and necessarily tell how I got there, but you can tell what it is. So, so what 205 really is, is these performance tables at these wet bulbs, at this wet bulb, this dry bulb, this, uh, this indoor, this outdoor condition. So they're multiple, multi-dimensional tables. What's the capacity and, and the efficiency of that piece of equipment or that component. 
How much gotcha. power does it use? How much capacity does it use? So, so as, as you, if you look at all this, you know these are these are some of the ta tables out of the two hundred five committee areas of concern. You know, we've got four data points on that chart right now. So, uh, and so they're trying to say, okay, well, if we filled in this middle point, and you see this kind of grid of things. Of course, the mm -hmm. red ones are are things that are not possible past the saturation line on a psych chart. Yeah, uh, but if we looked at the blue and the green ones, if we had in there, was that good? And then sometimes they operate in the purple and the red. Maybe we need to expand it into there. So that's just part of the discussions that have gone on in 205. But, you know, basically they're looking for people to put these maps together. And, gotcha. and quite frankly, how we're going to put the maps together is we can't, we don't have the industry or the world doesn't have enough test lab or test lab time. We will never get there to, to run all those conditions. Right. What we have to do is be able to take a piece of equipment or two or three pieces of equipment across our product line, run it a bunch of different conditions, make sure that we have computer software and our own computer modeling that will match those. Mm -hmm. And that's where, and it might not be within 5%. That's the other problem that we may mm -hmm. run into as we get into this, but maybe, maybe ten percent is better than nothing, right? Right, right. Uh, uh, maybe we get ten percent. Maybe we can get fifteen. Whatever it takes, we could run those, develop these models, and then check check them at different places with different pieces of equipment. Then the the models, the internal software that that I don't want to give to anybody else because it's my intellectual property. I can create this map. And then the, mm -hmm. then the energy programs will just do linear interpolation in between the, the data points on this grid. And that's going to be a whole lot better than what we got today. Right. For because sure. today you can't, you can't take IPLV or SEER or EER and put it in an energy model. It doesn't mean anything. Right. You know, it has no effect on how that thing operates in the center of that blue part of that first map I showed you. It, it, because it's, it's not one of those data points. Right. It's up there on the edge. It'll tell you only if you hit that happen happen to hit that point on that edge, which, like you saw on that map, doesn't happen very often. So yeah. So um, so you know, like I said, HRI's been had this system steering committee. This was the concept. I was one of the charter members of that committee in 2012. Uh, uh, Dick Lord, who I talked about earlier, chaired the committee. Uh, for a very long time, you know, he, he's been a lot of the driving force behind this and, and, uh, and worked on 205 and, and 90.1. <clears throat> so, so a, what HRI is doing is, you know, we've been working with all the different products in HRI saying, Hey guys, all you industry experts go out and, and, and figure out how to do this. And, mm -hmm. uh, now, you know, we're changing refrigerants. We just had an energy efficiency increase. There isn't a lot of bandwidth right now mm -hmm. to do a lot of this work, but there is work being done. Uh, that's kind of what drove the, this is the process that drove chillers. That's the reason I said five years ago, we kind of went to map ratings. Uh, ERVs, you know, uh, heat wheels, those now are computer-based certifications. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh and the reason chillers are so much easier, you know, water cooled chillers, we're just looking at the water. We're not looking at the cooling tower. So there's no wet bulb involved. Right. 
and you know it's you know capacity is 500 times the gpm times the delta t now you know you can change fluids and change those numbers a little bit change the 500 a little bit but it's pretty simple math mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty pretty predictive so then you just got to work on fluid to fluid heat transfer in there or uh or on an air-cooled chiller it's a little bit harder but still the they're typically you know, it's air-cooled and water-cooled chillers. I didn't say evap-cooled chillers because <laughs> that gets harder. Because whenever you throw that latent load in there, the it, the complexity of the math and the modeling gets harder. Right, for harder. sure. So we really haven't figured out what we're doing with rooftop units yet. Uh, anything that has a latent load on it, you know, coils. Yep. Uh, th- those kind of things. There are modeling software out there. There's things that people have done with them. Um, um, but there again, HRI always certified coils. It's a very narrow range. Now we need to expand that range. So, yep. So, so that's kind of the modeling part. Let's get the best equipment. Can we do? Okay. Now, how do we control that equipment? That's where, uh, where I think we, you know, um, one of the things you got to understand about what we're doing today with prescriptive measures is I'm running a piece of equipment at a condition for an hour to get a single data point efficiency and capacity reading. There's no controls involved in that piece of equipment. It is locked in that position. Gotcha. And, and so controls we know are going to have a big difference on how the unit works. Yeah. In today's world, we live in this variable speed world, right? We have variable mm-hmm. speed condenser fans, variable speed evaporator fans, variable speed compressors, uh, variable speed chill water pumps. Uh, everything's variable. At any given set of load conditions, there's probably one speed for each one of those variable speed components that will use the least amount of energy. Mm-hmm. Figuring that out is hard, you know, because yeah, sure. if you – if you change the outside air temperature, you change the outside air humidity or change the indoor air humidity, that that speed and everything's going to shift around a little bit. And it's not directly, you know, so there's a lot of people talking now about even uh, AI, artificial intelligence types, neural networks. Can we build control? You know, that's entering into the control system mm. world. Hey, can 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 this piece can this building self-learn? By saying, mm-hmm. hey, you know, last time I ran at this point, I ran this, this, and this, and it used this much energy, and now I'm running this, this, and that, and it uses less energy, you know, let's eliminate that one and let's move it a little further that. So can they learn as they go along, you know? So there's there's wow. lots of opportunities and controls. So yeah. for young people entering the industry, I you know, when, when I talk to student groups and stuff, I say, hey, energy modeling – and controls and commissioning that's Those where are it's hot that's, the that's where that's right. the future it's where it's got to be and you know and the other part of this is now we got smart grid you know mm. we've got utility companies that are saying hey we're really trying to save greenhouse gas what i want to do is i want to turn whatever i'm using to run my generation solar wind hydro nuclear natural gas whatever it is and I want to run it at its peak efficiency all the time. So I want to be able to control the the demand for power into the building. So what can I do to control the demand? Can I talk to some of the HVAC units and say, hey, I'm getting close to where I always remember the scene in Christmas vacation where, where 
Griswold turns his lights on and they have to throw the switch on the nuclear power plant. <laughs> By the right, way, that would have right. that would have been a gas turbine professor. They don't fire up a nuclear power plant for peak load, but that's that's beside <laughs> the point. Uh, but you know, that's what happens when you hit those peak loads. Right. Or do I call out and say, "Hey, would you let your temperature come up three or four degrees in your house? You know, for for a couple of hours." and not have to turn on the nuclear power plant or the new gas compressor by talking the equipment. So, so yeah. building integration and even inside the building, how much hot water am I using? How much, uh, you know, can I recover heat that I'm expelling from my condensers to hot water? You know, this is where right, heat pumps right. and water source heat pumps and heat pump chillers and all this stuff that is getting a lot of attention to these days. But it, you have to look at it on a whole. So, you know, right. So you can't just look at the efficiency of the heat pump chiller if you're not looking at the, if you're making domestic hot water with it, if you're not counting for the hot water, the energy you would have used to make the hot water if you weren't using that heat pump. Right. Exactly. So so all these systems integrate. And uh, one of the, one of the many committees I've, I've, I've served on at ASHRAE was the tall buildings committee. I always called it my play committee because I, how many tall buildings does anybody get to build? But yeah, yeah. But they're really cool when somebody builds them, and they're incredibly mechanically complicated to build a hundred-story mm-hmm. building. And you know, could we use the chill water system for sprinkler system? Why not? You know, other than mm-hmm. the fire marshals freak out because they don't want anybody touching their system. Mm-hmm. But you know, things like that, those kind of integration things, can we do that to make uh, more? Uh, um, more efficient. So, so, you know, those opportunities going forward, you know, the, I would say the winners are going to be those, those people that can, you know, embrace, innovate, integrate all that together mm-hmm. to see the whole picture, you know, uh, the people that can, can move toward this, but it, but you know, it's sometimes it feels like in, in our industry and I'm sure in every industry, you got to wait for the old guys to die off before you can make a change, you know, because <laughs> we all are, get set in our ways. Of, this is the way we've always done it. I did this this way. Yeah. So many years ago, but this is a big change from changing from these prescriptive. Uh, and the interesting thing is you look around the systems to your committee at HRI, it's a bunch of old guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but a bunch of old guys have been around a long time and said, Hey, you know, we've been doing this our whole lives. It ain't working. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our, our, um, our willingness to take risks definitely diminishes, uh, as we get older. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. But, totally uh, so, so, you know, there's lots of, lots of things to do there. And then we have to convince everybody to, you know, well, if we do this, we will save energy. Trust us. You don't, you know, you don't have to right. write a law. You don't have to, don't over-regulate us. Don't re- regulate every component in that system just because you can, because I'm pretty sure that's where I said, you have to be able to look at the, the give and take and the integration. A lot of the regulatory reforms, the new, uh, the, the new FEI fan metric that is, uh, in 90, well, it's not new. It's been around since 20, it's been in 90.1 since 2019, but Mm -hmm. it's beginning to get a lot of play right now. People are just now kind of getting used to it and hearing about it. It's really a rating of that fan at, at peak load. 
And in a VAV system, it'll walk out of that peak load. It's kind of it's kind of like that cloud you saw. You're not going to be operating at that point all the way down the fan curve. When that fan's running at 75% down in the middle of the blue cloud, mm-hmm. 75% capacity, uh, you're not going to have the efficiency represented by that FEI that you that you selected that you regulated that fan that it has to be at. So right. So. Uh, so if you don't look at all this interaction piece, if you don't look at the whole building, you can't. You don't get the whole picture. I guess is the point. So, absolutely, uh, I'm not smart enough to solve this. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm way too old to solve all this because it's <laughs> going to take a long time. But there you're, are people you're, out there that are doing. You're, you're raising awareness and pointing. The, I'm ra- raising awareness. And I right think direction. it's a huge, huge opportunity to, right. to go out and and uh, do this. And, and you know, and right now the you know, from a manufacturer standpoint, you know, trying to figure out how to get these maps done is, it's kind of like the scary 500 pound gorilla sitting in the corner of the room that, that yeah. tell you, well, you know, we're not really doing anything yet. We're just scratching our heads saying, well, how would we even start? Uh, but, but, uh, you know, like that, but, you know, uh, what will drive that is people saying, Hey, I need it. And, right. uh, and, and ASHRAE 205 is one part of it because you're going to see people start building the 205 tables into Energy Plus or whoever's energy program. And uh, if we incent people to to save energy in buildings and, and look at whole building energy modeling, that's kind of what, you know, uh, net zero buildings don't use uh, zero energy any point in time usually right <laughs> they, they're either making it or saving right. it but they're never at zero right absolutely they don't run, they don't run off the grid that's right uh, that's right uh, typically yeah you know that that's a different thing so i got a few friends with cabins up here that run off the grid but that's a whole different story when you got a commercial right. building and that's uh yeah well and and they have a certain amount of inconvenience to do, <laughs> right hey i'm not off the grid i can tell you that i have no desire to do that at all but yeah. uh yeah your for kids sure. don't want to be off the grid right <laughs> no their dad doesn't want to be off the grid either that's for sure <laughs> Awesome. Well, Mark, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you so much. Okay. This was a, a, some great information here. And um, yeah, so thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, if you would, would you, if you would like this video, whether you're watching it on YouTube or you're watching on LinkedIn, we would greatly appreciate that. If you want to share it, that's great too. You can get your PDH credit at uh, my email address or your PDH certificate at tmormino at insightusa.com. If you'd like to connect to our podcast, the you can zap the old QR code in the upper corner there or reach out to me and I could send you the link uh, to the podcast. And uh, Mark and I will stick around and ask a few questions, answer a few questions here. But thank you all so much for joining us. And thank you, Mark, for the great presentation. All right. Awesome. You did a great job. There's a few, there's one question in the chat here. Um, yeah, this is the hard part. I don't know whether I'll be able to answer all the questions. No, the, there's just one here real quick. Um, uh, it says, uh, Eric is asking, is there a tool available that can use hourly building load data, say from eQuest to select equipment such that the load matches the IPLV or efficiency curve? I I don't select. know. I understand that question. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> So yeah, Eric, email that, IP, me. that IPLV and efficiency curve is 
is is what it is. So you know, it's, yeah. Uh, you know the, the what you, what your eQuest is going to give you is those blue dots and red dots. That's the building load. Yeah, it's kind of that's the building load. Things. So yeah. so I mean, translating from that IPLV into that blue part is the two hundred five maps. That yeah. That, that today we kind of have for chillers, although we don't have the cooling tower side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and is the energy modeling good enough for the cooling tower side? I, that's outside my realm of of expertise. Probably not. I guess. You know, but you really have to look at the pump energy, and you know, I've I've, I've spent a good part of my life looking at air cooled versus water cooled chillers, and. Mm-hmm. And which one's more efficient depends on how how far the cooling tower is and the elevation of the cooling tower from the chiller a lot of mm. times. Because air cool can be more efficient than water cooled if you yes. take into account the power pumping power and the and the cooling tower energy. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so it you know, so it it depends. So I guess that's the answer to the question. It depends. <laughs> so. I think I was I was two weeks into the industry when I heard it depends about four hundred times. <laughs> it's like the first thing they teach you when you're new to this industry, and and often I get asked questions, and I'll go, yeah. I'll "Give you this answer, and you're going to hear it a million times. It depends." And then you know, yeah. fifteen twenty minutes later, you've got three options and the pros and cons yeah. of each, and yada yada yada. So. I mean, the really important part about the modeling, the thing that we got to get the guys that are working on modeling is we've got to validate the models yeah. against real buildings. So we need to build building, we need to model buildings, we need to build buildings, we need to feed the weather data, hourly weather data recorded on that building back into the model and see where we have deficiencies and keep working on that. And so yeah. The building modeling guys aren't done, you know, and I've always said, you know, in my career, me and Dave Knievel, who you probably have met. Sure. Really smart guy. But Dave's been a modeler. He was an early modeler, worked on Blast, you know, and I've said I've had a lifelong argument with Dave because he keeps saying that my reality is wrong because it doesn't agree with his model. (laughs) I keep saying his model's wrong because it doesn't agree with reality. But that's right. You know, but that there's a lot of that that goes on. And, you know, reality has data scatter in it. I measure it four times, get four different answers within a range. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, often I'll be on a job site and we'll all have our own little meter. We'll be reading some point and we'll all have a different point. One guy's It'll way out here, one guy's way out here, and the two are kind of close enough to say, okay, we guess it's... <laughs> it must be in here, right? Yeah. So it's... Awesome. So, well, great. Right. Well, no, The modeling guys can get you to the six decimal point, but <laughs> I'm not exactly. sure it's right. <laughs> exactly. So, oh, okay. Good. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, if you can hang out here for a few minutes... Sure. And we appreciate it. And thank you all again so much for joining us. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. All right.